are gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. In the last week, I began a new sermon series entitled Walking with the Father. Walking with the Father. And, and at that time, um, the message was to begin to get you to think about the way we think. Before we can even talk about how we walk with the Lord, how we live the life that God has called us to live, we must first come to understand what his plan for us is, right? And two texts, we talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you or prosper you. That word is shalom, and that shalom is peace, that is fullness and the wholeness of God, and prosperity is part of that message. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. And I, I, I talked about that very in-depth last week where that abundance is beyond expectations, beyond measure, beyond what you thought you deserved. So Jesus says, I have come to give you life that's far beyond what you expect. God has always promised, hey, I know the plans I have for you even before the beginning of the world. I knew you and I have a plan for you. Plans to prosper you, give you shalom and peace. Not to harm you, but to raise you up. That when you call upon me, I will hear you. So there's this plans of God that is so good that sometimes it's incomprehensible. Sometimes it goes beyond our comprehension, beyond our thinking, or beyond our expectation. And the way I, I might have presented that last week was, it, it's so good, it might have sounded like prosperity gospel. And I'm not talking, I'm not saying I'm preaching prosperity message. I'm just saying prosperity is part of the gospel message, which is the good news. And I've never had any poverty message that was good news to me. Okay? I'm just saying real good news has good stuff in it, and prosperity and throughout history has been part of that. But I'm not teaching prosperity much. I'm not teaching you to pray for a Mercedes. You guys understand? I'm not talking about the material. I'm talking about the fullness and the life of God. Okay? Now, so within that message is the message of shalom, where God's plans are plans of wholeness encompassing of health, blessings in financial, in your workplace, in livelihood of your family. It's not peace of just absence of conflict, but you're at peace because everything is good. You guys understand? When people ask you, hey, how are you doing? In Western culture, we say, yeah, you know, we're good. Even inside, we might be all messed up, right? But if you have a really deep conversation with, people, with your family, hey, how are you really doing? What we share out of our hearts is if everything, if something is messed up, we're not having peace, right? If, if our workplace or my relationship with my son or whatever it is, if something is not messed up, then I'm not at peace. That's what we're talking about. The peace is when everything around my family, my work, my relationship, my church, how I'm doing, I'm at good place. That's peace. 
And God says, I want to give you shalom. My plans for you is shalom. And that peace is probably better than what you're thinking. Too often within the church, there's a message of repentance. When a pastor says, repent, what do you think of? Often we think of the Hebrew word shuv that says, turn around from the direction that you are going. Turn back so that you're changing your behavior or the direction of what you were doing. It's often the message of behavior modification, repent. But the New Testament word for repent is metanoia in the Greek, which means change your mind, change your thinking. So I want you to consider this. There's a call for the church to repent, and that is to change our thinking from the way of the past or way of your expectation, but align it with God's expectations, with God's plan. And God's plan, it says, my plans are bigger than your plans. And I want you to change your thinking to align with the heavenly, to align with his plans, because your plans are too small. His plans are more than what you expect. And I went deeper last week on that. So if we want to walk with the Father, if we want to experience the life that God has for us, we must first repent, change our thinking to believe what he believes, what he has for us, and then we can receive the plans. And when we change our thinking, our actions follow. You guys follow? Okay. So, but sometimes that reprogramming hurts. Sometimes when all you have been taught all your life is one way and somebody says, hey, that's not exactly how it works. They're like, what you talking about, Willis? You know, we go, what? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't compute. Okay, for you younger people, you don't know what that was. This is for the older people joke. All right. I'm glad I got a laughter out of that. Uh, consider, if you have been programmed to believe, if I do good, I get good results. If I do bad, I probably expect bad results. That's kind of how the life has trained us to believe. That way of thinking comes way back to Genesis. From the beginning of time, creation of time, when God made man, he had a good plan, but then sin happened. And then what happened? They received this curse. They received the consequence and judgment for their action, and therefore there were punishment, punishment or there was discipline, and we say, oh, we agree to that. that, that that's deserving. And that's how our life works, doesn't it? It is measured by if you work hard, you get good results. If you do bad, you probably deserve the consequence of that. But what if God's paradigm and God's methodology or God's plans are different than what we think? Well, if God says this and we are down here, we need to repent to be in agreement with God, no matter how painful or uncomfortable or illogical as that may be. You guys with me? And sometimes God works in such a way that it's like, 
I don't understand God. But we have to humble ourselves to align with his truth. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Tonight I'm going to look at the stuff that has programmed our thinking to what we know. And that is the Genesis account, the fall. Let's look at, forget the, the stuff that we have to deal with today, okay? Let's just go back to the basics and go to Genesis 3, where we look at the fall, the very first sin, and the consequences thereafter. Because that original sin impacted every living being on this planet forever and ever, okay? Let's look at that and just consider, what would it look like if that sin never happened? You know, you guys ever play a hypothetical? I wonder what would happen if Adam just refused that, you know, apple from Eve. What would it? You guys have asked me that question before. Come on. Right? So that's what we're going to do. We'll play a hypothetical and see what that looks like. Okay? So we're going to look at Genesis 3. Genesis 3 so if you remember, Genesis 1 was a creation. Genesis 2 was like more blow-up picture of the creation. And then Genesis 3 is where, um, is where we get the, the story of the fall. And it starts off where the serpent approaches Eve, the first woman. And not yet, sweetie. My daughter is back there, so I can say sweetie. It's all right. <laughs> not yet. So if you remember how that deception happened, it began with a question. Did God really say? You guys remember that? So the temptation of Eve started with, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, here's what the devil did. The serpent, the devil and the serpent, questioned the integrity of God. And his persuasion was, did God really say that? Because that's not true. His method was that to persuade Eve, oh, you're not going to die. If you eat of it, you, you'd be like God. You can't believe God. His words, his persuasion was, you can't trust God. His plans is not for your full life. His plans is to hold you back because he don't want you to be like him. That's the temptation. That's the pitch. You can't trust God. Did God really say? He's questioning the integrity of God. And the scripture then says, when Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, it was valuable for uh, gaining wisdom, that she can be like God. When she bought the lie, she came into agreement with the devil. Yeah, you were with me, right? Okay. So here's, here's the reality. The pitch was you can't believe God because he doesn't have your best interest in mind. He does, his plan for you is not to bless you, but to keep you back from enjoying the fullness. That's the pitch. And then Eve said, ah, oh, I believe you. Because she acted out 
by eating, which is saying, when she saw that it was good for whatever he said, she bought the lie. She came into agreement. So she, didn't, she went away from the agreement with God and went agreement with the devil. She ate. Then she shared it. She shared it because the husband was right next to her. He wasn't far away. He didn't just arrive. He was next to her. He ate. He didn't contest. He didn't fight. Meaning he probably agreed. He probably heard the pitch. He was just as guilty. And he ate. And then we get to God shows up. They hide. They have this dialogue. And they're throwing each other under the bus. Adam is blaming God, the woman you gave me. Right? She made me do it. And then... The woman is blaming the serpent. Oh, the serpent deceived me. And, and then it's just blaming each other. This is the consequence of the sin. Have you ever noticed that blaming people never gets anywhere? Making excuses doesn't get you out of the hole. But that's the consequence of sin. We don't want to take ownership of what we have done. We want to blame it on others. And we make excuses and we try to, you know, get out of it. doesn't help anyone. But then we get to God's judgment. And this is where we get the fall. As a result of the sin in Genesis 3.16 and following, God first judges the serpent, but then he says to the woman this in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and with pain you will give birth to children. Your children will be for your, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This is a part of the curse. I want you to understand this. This is God's judgment and curse, and this was never his plan from the beginning. You guys understand that? It is as a result of the sin. But consider, ladies. Have you ever, do you experienced the, if you thought bringing a child into the world was painful, child rearing is also painful, right? Because there are pain in your butt, right? It's because of this. This consequence, it wasn't just for Eve. This was every generation after all the women was like pain in child birth and child rearing. It's because of this sin. And then he says, your desire will be for your husband. Not that that's bad for us guys, but um, that wasn't, anyways, let me move on. He says, and he will rule over you. He will rule over you, woman. That's a consequence of sin. Meaning, that wasn't God's will from the beginning. So if you ever thought God was chauvinistic and he is prejudiced and, and unequal, that's a consequence of the sin. You guys get that? So consider the things that women have fought for generations was what God had wanted from the very beginning. For equal rights. 
And if you ever thought some patriarchal cultures or systems or chauvinistic people were unfair, it's because of this sin. It's part of the curse. It wasn't God's purpose for mankind. Okay, continuing in verse 17. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life you will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and dust you will return okay now we may not be agricultural farmers in this room but what this says is that our work is going to be hard there's going to be thorns and thistles in your life, in your workplace. And you guys probably know what I'm talking about. In our workplace, there are people who talk behind your back, sometimes in front of you, and it's prickly, to say the least. And you will sweat. It's not going to be easy. That's the consequence of the sin. God's plan for man was never hard work. It should have been easy. It should have been prosperous. It should have been fruitful right from the beginning. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Rule. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Work, rule, have fun, name the animals, you know. You have a task, but it was never supposed to be hard with thorns and thistles and sweat. So if our work, if our relationships, if there are thorns and thistles in our life, it's because of this sin. There is a curse. But that wasn't God's plan for you. And it says, life became limited. For dust you are and dust you will return. Meaning, every person, 100%, have a finite life. We will go back to the grave after we die. And that's as a result of the curse. Meaning, God's plan from the very beginning was eternal life. And do you, do you guys remember? Okay, here's a pop quiz. Why were the man and woman kicked out of the garden? You guys remember this? Why? Correct. At the end of chapter 3, which many people somehow failed to just breeze through, the reason they were kicked out of the garden was because the tree of life was there in the garden. And if they were to eat of it, and while they had this knowledge of sin, then they would live forever. And God says, no, 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 no. You are in sin. Your thought is in sin. You're, you can't have eternal life in that condition. It wasn't that God kicked them out because he was judging them. It was because the tree of life that always existed, that they, were, they had the access to eat from the very beginning. They didn't eat of that. But they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was the choice that they made. As a result of the original sin, the fall of one man, all mankind inherited the curse. That's us. For generations, for thousands of years to our present day, we have inherited this curse. And we are living in a culture that has based our, the whole foundations of life based on the system. You do good, you get rewarded. If you do bad, you get the curse. There's a punishment. There's a consequence to the choices that we make. People die. Women experience 
pains, childbearing, child rearing, women are oppressed, and the work is not easy. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered through the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. The consequence of the original sin impacted the curse on the world and everyone inside. All were born into sin and all reaped the consequence, which is the curse. But then here's where the good news come in. Thanks be to God, he did not leave us there in that condition. There is a curse on the world, in the world we live. There's a curse upon the mankind and the system, but God did not leave us there alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And if you read further from John 3.16, right, and this verses after, it says the world is already cursed, already is condemned. That's the condition of the world. But thanks be to God, he, Jesus Christ, God's own son, came to redeem and give the way for those who are lost, those who are cursed, to be redeemed and be saved for all eternity. That's the gospel. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, God himself, came and died in our stead on that cross, thereby taking our sins, paying the punishment of the curse of our lives. The punishment we deserved, he paid. You guys understand that? This is a big one. The punishment that was on us, the curse that was on us when Jesus died on that cross, he paid it in full. Once and for all, our past, present, and even future sins, once and for all, for all generations, Jesus paid it. Romans 5.18 says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was a condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was a justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Just as Adam's sin caused ripple effect of consequence of, of the curse in our life, says Jesus Christ and his death made us righteous to those who believe. Okay? Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And there's a Old Testament law in the Deuteronomy that talks about hung on the tree as the curse, as a symbol, so that the people can see one who's taking on the punishment so that they would not. And Jesus, when he hung on that cross, is for the whole world to see that our sins are on him and he was paying for it. He fulfilled every obligation of the law. He took our curse and paid it in full. This is not just good news. 
It is the good news. This is the gospel. Gospel means the good news. There's no just, oh, so-so news, good news. No, it is the news for all mankind, for all generations, for all eternity. This is the good news. The consequence of all our sins is attached and was removed by Jesus. So I want you to consider this. King of righteousness, king of peace, becomes our curse and then gives you his identity of righteousness and his peace. Are you guys getting this? When he went on the cross as our substitutionary atonement, he was saying, I take your identity and I give you mine. He is Prince of Shalom, peace. The Shalom that God promised to give us. And he says, I've come to give. You know, I've prepared this for the last several days. And even as I share this, the weight of this truth should just bring us to our knees. I mean, how many times I've shared the gospel, how many times I've heard the gospel shared to me, but every time there should be this weight. Wow, he took my curse and gave me his shalom, gave us that life. It's not religion, folks. This is life. So we come back to the question. If Jesus removed the curse, what does that mean? We come back to the hypothetical. If Adam and Eve never sinned, what would that look like? If we had been living by the system of we do wrong, we reap the consequence, we're judged, and the, the system of the law of good works or being redeemed we recognize what Adam and Eve did, and as a result, this is the life that we live. And this is a system that we have become normalized to. But what would it look like if they never sinned? There would never be a curse. You with me so far? There wouldn't be a curse. Women, equal right, wouldn't even have to fight for it because they would be honored. They would be recognized for the giftedness, not by their sex. They won't be considered less than, because I know, my I was going to say my woman. My wife is, <laughs> she, she's smarter than me. <laughs> there won't be this fight to try to lift ourselves up for women. For, how many are like feminists and generations of marching and fighting? There will be no oppression of racism. Because we're like one family. If sin never happened. These are all result of sin. Consequence of the curse. That was never God's plan. Childbirth, child rearing would be, you know, the pain would be removed. And that be fruitful and multiply, man, that would take on a whole nother world, right? If kids weren't in pain, come on, we probably have a lot more. 
My, I mean, I mean, my wife. I would have more, but you know. And imagine going to work, and it's not hard. No, you know, people could ask, "Hey, how's your work?" I'd say, "No sweat," because I'm prosperous. I'm. I hardly have to work, and there is fruitfulness. I don't get distracted. My work gets done, and it's easy. That's what it should be. Paycheck, business, whatever it is, it should be fruitful and good because that was God's plan all along. What if I told you that's the life that God desires for you to have? So we can play this hypothetical, right? What would it look like if Adam and Eve never sinned? We can play that hypothetical. But what if I told you that's the hypothetical that God promised and is offering for you because Jesus paid the curse? How, how great is that? Because we, <laughs> we have been trained to think of dealing with our thorns and thistles in our workplace. We pray, God, remove that thorn on my side because, man, that person's painful. We are dealing with the consequence of the curse that is in this world, and there's this tension because here is God's plan, plans to prosper you, plans to bless you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. That's God's plan, and life in abundance, here's God's plan, and then here we are living in the tension of this curse, right? That's not God's plan. This is world's plan. The tension is that we are living amongst people who don't believe in Jesus, For God came to save the lost. God came to save the world. For God so loved the world. It is for all, everyone. But not everyone acknowledged Jesus Christ is the Lord. Not everyone acknowledged that he came to save and to bless us and to, not everyone believes. And by that, they're not taking God's plan in their lives and obey and come come to submission. And that is the tension. And I'm talking that tension happens in and out of the church. In the world, people who don't know Jesus are living in the tensions that, hey, they'd rather live in the curse. They don't know any better, but that's what they're doing. They're rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ, of the gospel that is offered for them. And even within the church, consider this, even within the church, there are people who say they believe but are not led by the Spirit but by the flesh. They don't know any better. And by that, they don't know any better. They're not tapping into God's will. They still subject themselves to the flesh and the tension of this world that is cursed. So the conflicts of the church, conflicts of the people, conflicts of the relationship, what do you see? They're not living by the flesh. I mean, not by the spirit, but by the flesh. And I say, they don't know any better. I believe God's plan for us is that he remove the curse. I believe that there's more to this gospel than the plans of salvation for our lives. How many Christians have we talked to? Oh, I'm secured for, you know, eternity. But then they're living in this broken world, in this broken system, And their life is far from being fullness of what God has in store for them. 
What they believe is that, hey, I am secure for eternity and I will receive my heavenly rewards when I get to heaven, when I die. But they're not receiving the heavenly rewards now and today. What I'm saying is, maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to change our thinking to what God is thinking, what God has made the way that he removed the curse. And there is something far more for us in this life, not until we die. In the life that we live, there is something far more for us. And it calls us to repent, to change our thinking. You know, in the past years, I have served in churches. I have met leaders who were cessationists. Cessationist or cessationism is a theological term that says the works of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of his gifts of the Holy Spirit had ceased in the fourth century after the canon of the scripture was given. It's a fancy word, fancy theological academic theory. I call it heresy that has entered the church that has been taught for the last 2,000 years or 1,600 years, has infiltrated the body of Christ, and they believe the works of God is no longer. They might as well be deists who says God wound up the clock and let us be. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no involvement, there's no relationship. If you ever want me to get super angry, debate me on this one. <laughs> Seriously. Because what they believe is that how many believers who experienced God, and many of you guys have experienced miracles even in this room, in our, during our worship, we have seen miracles of healing in this room. And they're saying we're liars. That's what they're saying. How offensive is that? The gifts of the Spirit. We hear God, relate with him. We're, we planted this church by listening to God. And they're saying, nope, he doesn't do that anymore. That was your emotions. How offensive is that? Uh, yeah, I get angry. And they put this fancy academic terminology to say they sound very smart. But what they're saying is, I don't believe in it. Why? Because I don't see it happen. Really, at the heart of their argument is, I don't see it happen, therefore it's, it doesn't happen. But once you call it for what it really is, disbelief. You ask not, you receive not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to have faith in what God has promised. You have to have faith in to receive not only the gospel in your life, but to receive the life that he has for you. That takes faith. You can put a fancy theological term for it. But call it for what it is. It's disbelief, lack of faith. Yeah, I'm calling it as it is. And there are church leaders. I can't tell you how many I have served with. I can tell you that there are tensions where we live, in and out of the church, in workplaces. I've, I can tell you 
stories after stories. But I recognize the tensions that we all live in. And I'm not saying, hey, inside the church is easier. I'm not saying that at all. Because I've had some most difficulties because of some sensationists and the thorns and thistles in my life. I've also been in places where, where I sought the kingdom of God first, and God gave me all the other things. There were times I walked into my office hours before everyone else would come into the office. And I'm talking 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. I would be in the office to pray for every chair. I prayer walk my office before anyone with the lights turned off. I'm prayer walking, pacing, praying for every chair, every co-worker to say, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on my life. And, and may you reign in this place. And guess what? There was fruitfulness. There was blessings. Relationship, business, everything was in play when I sought the kingdom of God first. So even though there are tensions of the world, and believe me, I had conflicts in that office. It was with one Christian that was in the office. That was kind of weird, right? That's the irony. The irony is not my conflict wasn't with unbelievers. It was with one Christian who said who loved Jesus, and she was my pain. But anyways, we live in tensions. The tension is that there are people living under the curse. But I'm saying God has a plan for you to bless you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life abundantly, beyond your expectations. That parasone is beyond your expectations, beyond your measure. And we need to repent. Years ago, when I was in business, I have this hair in my eye. Years ago, when I, I, I shared I was a stockbroker and I was in corporate sales before and all of that good stuff. And during my youthful training, there were a lot of books that I read. And I remember it was a Dale Carnegie, Think and Grow Rich. It was one of those business books that was like, was circulated since early 1900s. And it still is one of the top books that is recommended for business entrepreneurs, business-minded people. Basis of that is you have to change your thinking. You have to believe you can control what you want to control in your life. Not to blame others, or blame your circumstances, but to take ownership of who you are and what you can do and believe that you can do it. And it takes that belief first before you can attain. And that's in the secular book. Do you understand? That's not even, like, that's a secular book. How much for the, for the people of God who have the Holy Spirit and power of God to those who believe? But we have to believe what God wants us to believe. We have to come in agreement with his plans. And once we change our thinking, God, help us. Because God will help us. <laughs> nothing can stop us. Because nothing can stop God. Amen? So as we go through in the weeks to come, uh, the next week I'm going to talk about authority. What does that mean? God gave Adam and Eve authority. Okay, the curse is removed. What does that mean for us? Ah, get you for next week. 
right? <laughs> We're out of time tonight. But, you know, the Bible is so good. God's plans are so good. He is so good. If you believe him and what he has for you, it's far more than what you can do for yourself. So we're going to pray. We're going to close. But I'm going to welcome the prayer team up. Here's a challenge, church, and an invitation. Sometimes, you know, they, they say that you need to hear something multiple times before you actually believe it. And especially something that you have believed all your life, it's going to take some time to reprogram. But it doesn't have to be. You can make a decision today and say, I believe God's plan for me is far greater than what I have planned for myself. Uh, this situation that I'm in today, the relationship that I'm dealing with, is not God's plan. It's not God's plan for you, for you to suffer. For you to struggle. It's not God's plan. For you to deal with a curse. It's not his plan. But if you are going through it, he'll give you wisdom to get out of it. He split the Red Sea so you can walk through it. He didn't remove the Red Sea, but he made a way for you to go through the sea. He is God. And nothing can stop him. His will will be done if you agree to the will. Amen? So I, I, we're going to pray, but I, want, there are, I, I believe there are some of you guys who need some deeper deprogramming or some ministry that says God's love to just rain down on you. And this is what the prayer team is here for. They can pray with you. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you don't know this plan, you don't know the gospel, they can help you in that as well. Okay? If you have kids and therapy kids, please pick up their kids. Come back, receive prayer, hang out. Uh, 7.30, we'll be at the TRP kids room for a fresh start if you want to know more about us. We're going to close in prayer right now. And actually, will you guys all please stand? Will you just lift up your hands as a sign of submission and welcoming of his Holy Spirit? Say, God, come. Let your will be done in my life. We say yes to you. We trust you that you are the good father. And your plans for me, your plans for us is shalom. And not to harm us, but plans to give us hope and a future. So we say yes to you, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we come into an agreement with the heavenly king, the almighty king, king of kings and lord of lords, Lord, come in your power and your Holy Spirit. Like the wind, move and fill your sons and your daughters. Come and move among your sons and daughters and fill them up. And wash away the curse of this world. Remove the lies that they have believed 
and fill them with your truth. And as your people say, yes, Lord, and you are here. As we say, yes, Lord, more of you, more of you, Lord, fill us and manifest your glory in our lives. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Go in peace. Go in victory. For he has made the way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.